0: The title of this morning's message is Satisfied in Christ Alone. Satisfied in Christ Alone. Okay, We're going to skip that slide for this morning, but the title is Satisfied in Christ Alone. And the psalmist uses the word Lord. But all of us in here as New Covenant Christians, we know that the Lord is Jesus Christ. So I think it's okay for us, When we read the Old Testament, when you see see Lord, to know that that's Yahweh, but to understand that when the Lord was revealed to us, the Father sent his Son. And the name that is given to the Son in Philippians chapter 2, the name above all names is Lord. And he is our Lord, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we've entitled the sermon Satisfied in Christ Alone, even though this is an Old Testament passage. But what does it mean to be satisfied in Christ? I think for most of us, satisfaction comes when we receive something that we want. I think this is understandable. You pray for things, right? We say, God, I'm sick. Will you heal me? My loved one is sick. Will you heal me? Father, I have some financial need, or I have some emotional distress. Or, Or, Father, I really need some encouragement right now. Lord, I have needs in this life. And if you give me those needs, then, Lord, I will be satisfied. I, I do I do think there's an appropriateness to that uh, to some degree, but that is not the end all. That is not a true lasting satisfaction when it comes to being satisfied in Christ. You see, earlier in my life, especially in college and in, in graduate school, uh, I had a lot of needs financially. And so I would pray to God, and I would pray to God with a lot of faith. I would pray to Him literally. So if I needed you know, a thousand dollars for to, to for a class, or or eleven $1, hundred twenty-eight dollars for a class. I would pray for that amount, and the Lord, at certain times, he would miraculously provide for me through checks in my school mailbox, which is just some weird thing. And it, maybe it wouldn't be eleven $1, twenty-eight, but it would be eleven $1, fifty, and that would cover it, right? And some books. And so, so there was a season of my life where even going into seminary, I prayed. And then the church provided and I prayed and I prayed and I thought I was mature. I was like, dude, man, I'm really growing in Christ because I'm praying literally. And sometimes he would not provide, but other times he would provide. And I started praying, Lord, I pray that you would heal this person tomorrow. You know, And, and if you don't, then you're still sovereign and good. And I would always say that. Then, then I would be like, God, you know, there's this person in need. There's this youth who's going through financial struggle. Lord, can you give me 400 bucks so I could give it to him? And sometimes God would give me 200 you know, some way, some weird way. You know, or, or God would say, I can't give you that, but I can give you Bibles. And if you sell these or something, I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. So I'm just going to go ask my friend, Uncle Tony, for some help. You know, he's home with the Lord now. But, 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 but at the end of the day, you know, God always provided. And I thought I was mature. And then more recently, there are times where I prayed and I prayed for people. i prayed for some of you. I pray for some of your parents. You're sitting in here. I pray for their healing, and God still hasn't healed completely. And I go back to the Lord, I say, God, you haven't answered. I'm still not satisfied. You haven't answered this prayer. This is a righteous prayer. We're not praying for money here, we're praying for someone's help, someone who loves you. Then at times, I I I pray for the Lord to take away a certain pain or take away some emotional stress or some burden, and God doesn't answer. It's just silent. It's just silent. You know, he gives you some form of help, but it doesn't help fix the problem. And so then, more recently, in reading the Psalms and in in singing songs like the one we just sung, you know, it becomes more and more real that to be satisfied with Christ takes a certain maturity. It's a maturity where you can be held by him, theologically, in his arms, where you're no longer receiving anything from him, but yet you're satisfied with simply him holding you in relationship. It's that that leads us to Psalm 131. If you have God's word, please turn there. Psalm 131. Psalm 131. To be satisfied in Christ alone. This is a song of a sense of David, attributed to David. Psalm 131, just three verses. Let me read it to you. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother like a weaned child is my soul within me o israel hope in the lord from this time forth and forevermore may god bless the reading of his word by by way of review psalm 131 is one of the psalms of ascent and we've explained over and over that, that these were songs these were a set of songs sung by the jewish pilgrims as they traveled from wherever they were to Jerusalem. And the songs started as they embarked on the journey. And the songs of ascent, when we get to Psalm 134, we're going to see that it concludes with them inside the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. So these are a set of songs for the journey. And when you think of the journey of the Christian life or a relationship with God, it is a journey of grace. When you understand grace, you understand that our journey of grace begins with grace. That salvation was by grace alone. Salvation was not by works. Yes, we responded in repentance and faith, but it was a grace journey. Along the way, we try to take the Christian life into our own hands, and then we we fail, and then we're reminded that we need to lean more into His grace, right? So we lean back into His grace. And then we and then and then we need daily grace. And so we we realize that we will eventually end our lives in and with the grace of God. But if the journey of the Christian life and the journey of the of the pilgrim of God, if it is a journey of grace, then it is a journey that begins with humility. That's point number one. Humility is the starting point. It is the point that I in myself need help. I am Insufficient, therefore I require someone else to complete what is lacking in my abilities. And my inability to save myself draws me to the need for a God to save me. That is humility. That is, humility is the starting point for this psalm as well. And so Psalm 131 verse 1, it describes humility. That's point number one, humility. David expresses true humility. David says, my heart is not lifted up, which means his heart is not lifted up and puffed up with pride. In other words, David is not full of himself. Now, we know David was not a perfect person. David sinned. He had struggles with lust, struggles with his own pride, right? struggles with conspiring to have a man murdered just to cover up his own sin. Yet, through the course of his life and towards the end of his life, He constantly went back to the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. And David goes down in history as a man who pleased God. God was faithful to David, right? And God made his promise to David that through David's line would come Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So even though David had his moments of sin, David loved the Lord. And I believe it was... It was David's moments of sin. It was David's imperfection. It was David's weakness that reminded him that he is not the hotshot king that sits on this high throne, but he is a servant of the Lord above all. And he is a slave of God in a bondservant manner. And this reminded him that he needed humility. And he says, my eyes are not raised too high. Now, when you read the Psalms or when you read the Psalm of sense in previous weeks, you see this phrase of my eyes are lifted up to the hills, kind of like lifting up your eyes up to God. That's not the same sense that the psalmist is writing here in Psalm 131. When he says my eyes are not raised too high, he's talking about humility. Raising your eyes too high in this context is pride. This is looking to the throne of God and saying, I am God. So for David, it's it's he's like, I'm God's anointed king. I can make decisions over all of Israel and over Judah and over God's people. Yeah, I want that woman, Bathsheba. I'm, get her for me. Get her for me because I'm the king. Oh, she has a husband? Well, let's have him killed. That's what he did until Nathan. Everyone needs a Nathan in your life. Okay, I have a Nathan Wu in my life somewhere. Right? But everyone needs a Nathan in your life. And a Nathan is the person that rebuked him and reminded him of the word of the Lord. And you know how David responded? Unlike other kings, David said, you know what, that's God's word. Man, I'm, I'm sinful. I need to repent. And David repented. He repented. And he came back and that humbled him. I mean, you're talking about not only like a, like a true humility, but it started with humiliation. But a humiliation is different from a true humility. See, you can be humbled because you just got owned, right, by someone, but not truly be humble at heart. David was not only in a state of humiliation, but eventually his heart came back to the right disposition and posture of humility. And, and so David writes, or in the spirit of David, the psalmist writes, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. My eyes are not raised too high. That even though he's the king, he's he's not the king of the world. He needs to remember that he's a servant. I think for you and me, a lot of times this phrase, my eyes are not raised too high, it, it comes back down to whether or not we are in control of our lives. It comes back down to, apart from God, can we make the best decisions and plans? Can we respond to problems and solve them with our own abilities? Or are we able to come, or are we willing to come before the word of the Lord and say, God, first we need scripture, right? And then we need to pray. We need to hear your instructions. Then we need to pray for your illumination, your guidance, and your strength and your power. And we need the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? We need the Holy Spirit and we need to do this in the name of Jesus and through Christ and through a relationship with Christ. Otherwise, we cannot live, live our lives effectively. We need Christ. We need the plan of the Father to be opened up and revealed to us. We need the Spirit to fill us and empower us so that we can do this in a way where, where our hearts and our actions honor God. And then when, when when the psalmist says in the Spirit of David, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I mean, this is like, you see this in, in many praise songs where it's talking about how omniscient and how omnipotent God is. God is omniscient, which means he's all knowing. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all powerful. He is He's infinite and we are finite. We are limited in our knowledge. He is infinite and eternal. We are small creatures. And it just reminds us not to try to discern or to pry into the mysteries of God. And it it is a submission of humility. It is a submission to say, God, I prayed for healing for this person or for myself. And you've not healed. And why? But Lord, I, I cannot understand why you do things how you do it. But I'm going to submit and trust that you are a good God, and that you are a true God. God, I don't understand why you let bad things happen to good people, and it seems like you allow evil, crooked people in this world to prosper. Why? And you see this in governments, you see this in business, you see this in society. Society, why? I don't understand that. God, why in the Old Testament would you ordain Canaanite genocide? Why? You know what? You're not a good God. I don't trust you. You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of things where we're like, We just have to submit. God hasn't revealed to us. I mean, one of the things is why does evil exist? Oh, you know, why does evil exist? Are we really going there, you know? Uh, If you look in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, evil existed before creation. Evil existed because there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So evil existed. And you know what God told Adam and Eve? God told Adam specifically, you can eat from every tree in the garden, but you can't eat from this one. And so, practically, it's obedience. Don't eat from that tree. But maybe part of that was, when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open to evil. So maybe some of this was was God saying, look, evil exists, but Adam, I just want you to be innocent. I don't want you to worry about this. But as soon as he opened up Pandora's box, if you will, Right? Sin entered this world because he ate the food in disobedience to God. So maybe for you and I as Christians it's not to be these philosophers to say, God, why does evil exist? How could a good God and evil coexist? If God is so good, why is there evil? Maybe that's a bad question. Maybe the answer in Genesis is, you know what? Evil exists and God didn't want us to know the answer. And we simply need to trust him and not eat the food. Right? That, that's the, the the heart of the fall was was wanting to know and wanting to be like God and not trusting God. It is a pride. And the psalmist brings us back to humility. And humility is God's plans, his ways, his sovereign election, his plans in scripture might not make sense when we try to when we try to understand him. But I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me because I'm not God. I simply surrender to the Lordship of Christ and what he does reveal to me in the scriptures. And that is the heart behind the person who can actually find satisfaction in God because that person can can rest in God's arms and, and say, God, I don't need all the answers. I just need you to hold me. If I'm in your arms, I trust you. I don't need all the answers. And isn't that like our little babies sometimes? You know, they don't They don't know a lot of stuff. They don't need to know stuff. They just need to know that they're safe in mommy and daddy's arms. I think we can understand that, all of us. You know, in Proverbs 3, 34, it says, Toward the scorners he is scorned for, but to the humble he gives favor. And so God looks down upon this world and he sees lots of pride. He sees Draymond Green right there. No, I'm just kidding. He sees all the Clipper fans right now. I'm just kidding. Right now I'm playing. Okay, we love you guys in the gospel, you know. But this is still Lakerland. land, right? And 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 at the end of the day, he looks at people and he says, Look at all this pride—not just in sports, but in this world. Look at all these people trying to trying to rule their own kingdom. Uh, and and then he looks at those who are broken and humble and crying for him, and that's who he puts his favor upon. Okay, that's who he puts his favor upon. Okay, he puts his favor upon those who are humble, and so. So we must come to the Lord with this type of humility. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, in Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, that whoever did not become like a child would not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus isn't saying, hey, all y'all be childish now. Like, let's have a bunch of immaturity. Everybody, one become like a child. He's not saying that, right? He's not saying that. Instead, he's saying, have humility. Have humility. Come with a posture like a child who doesn't need to know all the answers. Jesus, you know, show us more miracles. You know, create more food. Make more water into wine. She's like, you're already drunk, man. You don't need more, more of this, right? But then instead the children just ran to him. And then you see that in the Gospels. And then so, so Jesus tells his disciples, you guys want to be great? You guys want to sit on my right and my left? You're asking the wrong questions. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. Like a child. And just be satisfied with just being with Jesus. This leads us to point number two. Humility leads to satisfied with Christ, right? So point number two is satisfaction. Satisfaction. Verse two, I want to be clear, is not so much describing childlike dependency. Some interpreters read Psalm 131 verse 2 and they interpret this as childlike dependence. That's only very partially, uh, maybe a minute uh, extrapolation of it. But this is talking about childlike satisfaction. Let me, let me read you the, wor- the, the word of God. Verse 2. It says, but I have calmed, so in contrast to the proud, I have calmed and quieted my soul like A weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. A weaned child is a child who is satisfied, not a child who is dependent on the mother for breast milk. Weaning is a painful process. And verse 2 is describing the deep and mature peace A deep and mature inner peace, a contentment of one's soul that has gone through the painful process of weaning. In other words, this is a picture of a spiritually weaned child who is satisfied in the arms of God. And you see this example in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. You see, in Jewish history and in the Old Testament, a child was t- typically weaned off of breastfeeding at the age of three, which means at the age of three, breastfeeding stops and the child no longer depends on the mother for, for milk, right? This was the typical practice. Now, for most of us, how many of you guys wait till three? <laughs> Maybe this is not a Western American, uh, you know, or modern practice, but back then it was, it was three years old. Okay? For most of us today, weaning happens much earlier than three years old. But the key here is the word wean. Weaning is painful for both the mom and the child. It's painful for the, for the child because the child is used to going to the mom. In fact, every single time the child is held by the mom, the child is going to go towards the breast for their sustenance. That's a complete dependency. And when they don't get the milk, they're crying. In fact, they cry first, then you bring them to the breast to, to wean, right? We're all maturing here, okay? There's no you know, youth services on their own today. Okay, so you understand the picture? You understand the picture, right? So that's the crying child. The crying child is like us. God help me. I need money. God help me, I'm sick. God, okay, you've delivered. Mm, I'm satisfied. And then and then you're like, God, you know, I'm I'm struggling again. Well. Well, God, well, I'm a spiritual infant. God, well, okay, God, oh, yes, you answered my prayer. Well, what happens when the mom doesn't give the milk? The child keeps crying, right, because that's a child. You take a spiritual picture of this. This is not the picture of a mature believer who's satisfied in the arms of God alone, right? That's, that, that, and what happens to the child? Temper tantrums, looks of sadness. But what happens to the parent? It's painful for the mom. It's painful for the mom because for the mom, the mom sees the child crying and and stresses out, saying, should I just give in and breastfeed? What do we do? Right? How how do we quiet the child? So it's it's a painful process for both, but it's a sanctifying process. The picture you have here is a child who no longer depends on mom for breast milk. This is the child who eats solid food now. And so when the mom holds the child, the child no longer goes for the breasts, doesn't cry, is satisfied just being held by the mom or the dad. So now daddies can hold, right? Or grandpa or grandma. And you no longer need a breastfeed because the child is able to rest, sleep, satisfied, without milk, in the arms of mom, right? That's the spiritual picture. So when he says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child, a mature child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. My soul now cries to God, but when God doesn't give me the milk of my prayers, I no longer whine and throw an adult tantrum. Instead, in my soul, I can be satisfied with God not giving me something, but simply being held in His arms. And I'll tell you that this process does not come by just learning more theology. This process does not come by simply, you know, going through a a program or reading a few books or, or being a Christian, right? This process comes through going through some type of trial or pain, this is a maturation process. This is a process where you pray to God, and he's silent. And you're like, God, are you there? You know, look, Kawhi didn't come. What's going on, God? You, what is going on? I thought we had a plan, right? I preach the Lakers with the gospel, and you, you bring championships. I think it's going to be a while before we get one. But, but I, mean, I mean, it's this silence. God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to answer? How can we move from God, you didn't answer, but you're there and you're good. And maybe you're not answering for my good and for your glory and for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, right? And so one, when when you have a heart of humility, you're willing to be satisfied with what, just what God gives you. And that satisfaction then will give you the hope, which is point number three. You know, sometimes we remain hopeless because we're not yet satisfied. Like, God, give me hope. I, I feel hopeless. I'm not satisfied. Well, we're not satisfied because we're not humble. That's how it's all connected. The starting point of going before God is humility, which leads to satisfaction because we're willing to be content in God. And then that leads us to verse 3, which is hope. Verse 3 ends this short passage with a challenge. It's a challenge to all of Israel. And It's a challenge for us being now speaking to all of God's people and all of human history and it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, right? O Israel, hope in the object of the Lord. Your hope is in the person of Christ, the Lord. From this time forth, not just when they're worshiping on this journey or this spiritual pilgrimage, but all the time, from this time forth, forevermore, our hope will always be in the Lord In heaven, there will be no more sin, no more pain, but our hope is still because we are with the Lord. You see, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more financial struggle, no more evil. Why? Because you're with Christ forever. Perfect presence of God. Heaven is not heaven because it's heaven. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. That's what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And if Christ is there, then you are there with Christ. You see, Christ embraces us. Christ holds us. And when we believe that, then we hold fast, not just to mere words or mere teachings, but we're holding on to a person. And then finally we realize it's not us that's holding on, but God's been holding on to us the entire time. I don't know if any of you guys have been through that. Sometimes you're like, you know what, I'm fighting so hard to be a Christian. God, if you don't answer this, I might just leave. God, you know, the Christian life is hard. I'm just holding on. I'm just holding on to you. You know, Jesus never said, hold on to me. He's saying, you are in a pit. There's Romans says, you were in sin, for the wages of sin is death. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And God actually pull, went into that pit, and he pulled us out. And he didn't dangle us like this. Hey, if you sin, I'm going to let you go. He holds you in his arms. And then you're like holding on to him, like, trying to grab his neck, trying to grab onto him, and you're like, God, you know, please don't let go. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm God. <laughs> See, sometimes we don't realize that. Is that we're trying to hold on to God for dear life. God, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm about to lose it. Life is hard. And he's like, stop. Just, just stop. Be still and be a child. Rest in my arms. no that I've held you from the beginning, boy. You know, sometimes we forget about that. God's like, Hanley, you wouldn't even exist if I didn't create you. And if I created you and if I saved you, then will I not carry you through this trial? Will I not carry you through any trial? Am I not good and real even if there's evil in this world? And so we see that, right? Right? is that Christ is our hope. Israel needed to be reminded of that. That every single time they went to the world, it led into exile or sin, or they were conquered, and they had trials. But every time they turned back to their Lord, Yahweh, and placed their hope in the Lord, God protected them, God fought for them. You know, for us as Christians, it's very different. We have Christ. Christ secures us completely. And so here's the big idea. The big idea of this morning's message is true hope and satisfaction are found by those who come to Christ in humility. True hope and satisfaction are are found by those who come to Christ in humility. For application, I want to take you through an exercise of something that's I've been doing, each week, at least once a week, trying to grow and being satisfied with God alone when He doesn't answer prayer. And so I put up the lyrics to this song that we sung earlier, called, "What is it called?" I, I always get it wrong. Yet, "Yet, not I, but through Christ and me." I always tell Alexa, "Play, not Christ." I mean, something like that. "Not I, but Christ through me." And she's like, "I don't know that song." You know, it's it's it's. Anyway, forget it. <laughs> they're they're going to play. It's yet not I, but through Christ and me. Right? But it captures this essence where we know we got to get to Christ. And we all know that, right? When you're sad, when you're hurt, you got to get to Christ. But a lot of times, the way we get to Christ is through ourselves. And this song reminds us that you know you got to get to Christ, but the way you get to Christ is through Christ. And So let me let me show you. So if you feel hopeless, what can you hold on to? You must hold on to Christ. How do you hold on to Christ? Well, there's something called confessional theology. When you confess what you believe, even when it's hard to believe it. right? And so confessional theology is is what you need when everything else falls apart, where there's no felt needs being met, and the only thing you have is your, your, your feelings and your mind, and you're about to go crazy. Right, and so, so how do you come to a place where of humility, satisfaction, and hope? So, if you have ever felt hopeless, this is your confession that in your pain, and in that stress, and God hasn't answered yet, you say, "What well, gift of grace is Jesus, my redeemer?" And you actually believe it and say, "God, help me to believe it." There is no more for heaven now to give. God, you—I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for help. You've given me Jesus. There is no more now for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. So what do you hold on to? What do you, what do you grab onto when when it seems like the wind is going to blow you in every direction? To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can't understand. The mysteries of God. But I can sing, all is mine. When you sing, you know that you're, you're being healed. Because it's one thing to think, but when you can sing, you, 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 your body is in movement now. You're starting to express your emotions. When you sing, your mind is now connected with your soul. I can sing, all is mine. I'm content, I'm satisfied. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Christ is the object. Christ is the means as well. Christ is the way we get to Christ. Some of you, if you're suffering from depression or discouragement, or if maybe you're mourning the death of a loved one, and maybe you've prayed for God to bring help, but there's no clear answer, there's no relief. Maybe your struggle is against someone sinning against you. Maybe at work there's someone out to get you, and you've tried to do everything you can in a God-honoring way. And maybe, or maybe you're overwhelmed by people, Or maybe you're overburdened and stressed out by work. What can you hold on to? Well, this is your confession of satisfaction in Christ and through Christ. This is the second verse. Actually, you should pray this in your, in your times of, of hardship, right? Right there in your cubicle at work, you're being overwhelmed. You just sit there, stop and say, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness, not in your strength, not because you have more ability or knowledge or because you're able to. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need, his power is displayed. What do you hold on to in that moment? To this I hold, confessional theology. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley of depression, stress, Discouragement, mourning, marital conflict, burden. Through the deepest valley, evil, terrorism, he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome.
1: Yet not I,
0: but through Christ in me. Now, maybe some of you, it's a different struggle. It's a struggle with sin. You've prayed for victory. God, help me overcome lust. Help me overcome anger. Help me overcome my sin. And I can't. I feel helpless. God, I I long to be sanctified in Christ. I need the power of Christ. I feel like, Lord, I'm not worthy to be your disciple. What can you confess to find satisfaction in Christ and through Christ? It looks like this. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future is sure. The price, it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. Do you believe it? And he was raised to overthrow the grave. So what do you hold on to then? Right? Because look, you know, you're still going to go back and you're still going to have sin struggle. What do you hold on to? How do you battle sin together? Which your, your, your small group or your community group? How do you battle sin? To this I hold, to this we hold. My sin has been defeated. Jesus now and forever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free from sin. Yet not I. It's not because I am good, but through Christ in me. Now, some of you in here, you're sick and ill. Some of you, you're going to be watching this on social media because you can't come to church. And I know, I know a few of you that way. And you're there at home because you're sick. And you're on a machine and maybe you're breathing or, or you can't move. What is your hope? Some of you, maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're near the end of life. Okay. What's your hope? This, this verse, verse 4. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus even when you can't make it to church. With every breath that I have left, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. He's going to bring you home. It may not be today, it may be tomorrow, maybe like 10 years, 20 years. He will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me. He's not healing you, but your inner man is being renewed. Until the day, right, until I stand with joy before the throne, it's coming. There's going to be that day where there's no more machine attached to you. You're no longer in the hospital bed. No more medicine to take. No more person coming to take your your blood pulse or your rate. But instead, it's not going to be the nurse when you open up your eyes. It's Jesus. And Jesus is going to take you. And he's going to show you how he's been with you. Every step of the way. And if that's you, I pray for you. And my heart hurts sometimes when God doesn't answer the prayer. And so I know some of you haven't been to church. Again, you're not here this morning. You're going to be watching this on social media, okay? Is I know you haven't been to church because you can't come. You can't make it. So we have teams to bring the Lord's Supper to you. But this is what you hold on to. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, just keep running, keep running. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The heaviest burdens on my soul are knowing that there's so many hurting people in our congregation, but there's only so much we can do. And finally, the Lord said, it is not through us, but it's through Christ. Christ is the shepherd of our souls. And so, beloved, now those of you here this morning, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Come before him in humility. Nothing in this world will bring you satisfaction. If you've been hurt by someone, no one else can bring you vindication. The only person that can satisfy you and heal you is the person of Jesus Christ through his Word. And when you are satisfied, you will find hope. And you will find a hope that nobody can take away from you that no matter where you stand, sit, or lie, even if you're you're rolled up in a corner of your house because you're so overwhelmed by the burdens of life, that you will be uplifted to a hope of that confessional theology in that moment can save you, that all you got to do is find in your strength to say, Jesus, help me. And once you say that, your heart begins to say, Jesus, help me with this, help me with that. And then whether he answers or not, he's listening to you. And then you sing and you praise and you worship. And beloved, that's our king. He's not just a king to to come and dominate. He's a king that came to give his life for us. And you know who understood this? David did. David finally learned in writing this psalm That a servant of Israel, that the king of Israel is to be a servant of God. And all of his power, all of his might, all of his ability would only come from God. And the greater son of David was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's pray to him now. Father, we come to you, Lord. We come to you in a world where life is not easy because it wasn't meant to be. Help us, Lord, now to have humility of heart. Help us, Lord, now to find satisfaction, to be satisfied by just simply being held by you in your arms. Help us be satisfied in Christ alone and help us, Lord, to hold on to the hope that we can confess in any moment because of what you have done in us and what you will do through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.